Welcome to Brainwaves, student research on air. This podcast series is a collaboration between CKUT and the Postgraduate Student Society of McGill University. We are here to feature student research of all disciplines in Montreal and make academic work more broadly understood and accessible. I wrote my thesis on the targeted recruitment of women by the Canadian forces. Um, and I first became interested in this, well, for two reasons. Um, I am invo- involved with a campaign called Demilitarize McGill, which is trying to end military research at McGill. And so I've always been interested in kind of the the way that the military functions and how it um, functions to support settler colonialism. Um, but I became interested in this specific topic of the recruitment of women when in 2013 or 2014, there were a bunch of giant recruitment ads all around m- downtown Montreal in like metro stations and McGill, like women's locker rooms, all this stuff um, that were specifically targeted at women and used pretty uh, kind of blatant and really confusing feminist rhetoric to kind of propose the Canadian forces as a space of empowerment for women. Um, and so I became interested in looking at how how feminist rhetoric is kind of collaborative or like harmonious with the discourse used by the Canadian forces. And what were some of your key findings or like yeah critical points in your research conclusions? Yeah, so um, I took kind of a historical approach and did two kind of historical analyses to find out where the discourse was coming from in the advertisements. Um, and so firstly, I looked at the way that the Canadian forces or de- and the Department of National Defense have historically talked about Indigenous peoples and found that the vast majority of kind of uh, like official statements or ways that the military recruits Indigenous peoples talks about this relationship as one of loyal collaboration. Um, and so then I also looked at how um, s- the history of settler feminism in Canada mm-hmm. and how uh, this has interacted with Canadian military discourse and found that um, it was very useful to the Canadian forces to have like early settler white women be talking about themselves in ways that emphasize their like feminine innocence um, and that this was really useful in allowing the Canadian forces to recruit women to uh, specific care roles such as like nurses and secretaries and stuff and then when I had learned about those historical discourses I kind of brought them into conversation with this contemporary ad campaign and I guess my main conclusion is that um the feminist discourse being mobilized by the contemporary ads isn't um, a co-optation of feminist discourse, but it's actually this like kind of willful um, complicity of settler feminist discourse that has been around for many years. Um, This this ongoing collaboration between settler feminists and settler feminism and um, the Canadian forces and these two forces coming together to kind of obscure settler colonialism. You are listening to Brainwaves, student research on air. Head to the website culture.ckut.ca brainwaves to listen to other podcasts in the series or to learn more about having your own research featured. If you are enjoying this podcast, 
consider checking out All Things McGill from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. on Monday on CKET 90.3 FM on the dial or www.ckt.ca online. Leading seaman Krista Crocker, who says that, uh, and I quote, when I have something to say, people listen, which to me, when I see that, it tells me a few things. Uh, One, it says that she and the Canadian forces are acknowledging that women... And to set the stage, Krista Crocker is a white woman. She's, like, standing uh, in front of this pretty ambiguous but, like, clearly, like, naval scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it seems to say that Krista knows that, like, in civilian society, women are not necessarily listened to. But she's suggesting that when she came into her role in the Canadian forces, then she became listened to and... Uh, But it's unclear as to, like, who's listening to her. Mm -hmm. So is it that she's high up in the military hierarchy and she has people below her listening to her? Is it that she's being listened to by the people who are, like, who she's in conflict with in a conflict situation because she has a gun? Like, Mm -hmm. it's really unclear. Um, And I think another thing that I've been thinking about when looking at this ad where Krista's saying, when I have something to say, people listen, I want to take this in the context of increasing... Um, pressure on the Canadian forces to have more policy on sexual assault mm-hmm. and how uh, Krista is also speaking to the fact that women, well, she's saying that women will be safe in the Canadian forces. And I like to take this statement as also implying that um, women will be listened to uh, not just professionally, but also sexually. If I'm being honest, the first time I looked at these ads like two years ago, I, I wrote a shorter paper about them and was like, oh, the, the military's taking feminist discourse and mm-hmm. it's skewing it and blah, blah, blah. But uh, then when I was doing some history in terms of how uh, white settler women have talked about their relationship to colonialism and how a lot of feminist historians have talked about white women's relation to colonialism, I saw that, first of all, like, these white settler women have also have always had active mm-hmm. roles, whether it be you know as nuns in residential schools, mm-hmm. as missionaries, as like there are there are countless ways mm-hmm. that women white settler women have participated actively and benefited from settler colonialism. But feminist historians, for the most part, who are working on these women, refuse to name that as complicity. And mm-hmm. so I read lots of papers and books that were saying that. Um, these settler women were discursively implicated Mm -hmm. in settler colonialism but didn't want to say that they were complicit because they thought that saying that these women were racist or like colonialist or Mm -hmm. complicit would be be too mean or like Mm -hmm. be giving them more power than they had in terms of their placement in patriarchy so what I wanted to do was say yes of course like patriarchy existed for this these women and they weren't as powerful in terms of like mobilizing their gendered location as the men that they were with but they still benefited and like they were actively engaged in these processes. Mm -hmm. I've been frustrated lately with seeing a lot of feminist like journalists or kind of commentators be really excited or like cautiously optimistic about the new initiatives put forward by the Canadian Forces in the Department of National Defense to have like better sexual assault policies, better Mm -hmm. all these things Um, but I see, and I, I definitely see the importance of, you know, preventing sexual assault in the military. Uh, 
However, I I feel that a lot of the way that this gets talked about and a lot of the ways that sexual assault policies are implemented in the Canadian forces are serving to strengthen the Canadian forces and to provide it with more um, kind of like a bolstered ability to call itself feminist and to defend the work that it does both like in so-called Canada and abroad as necessary, as humanitarian, as feminist. Mm. Um, And because I think that a lot of Canadian militarism gets legitimized or like demilitarized Mm. because it gets to paint itself as multiple things, be it multicultural or humanitarian or feminist and all of these things are further enabled by feminists refusing to question like the best way to keep women safe. I guess one thing is just uh, the way that I was talking about uh, like settler colonialism in my thesis was purposely by like putting it as like an ongoing thing and so really like ta- like historicizing um, the activities of settler feminists by tracing them throughout history, but definitely saying that, like, settler feminists still exist and settler feminism has, like, legacies that continue to live on in feminists and feminisms who wouldn't call themselves settler feminists. Um, but I guess one example to answer that question is um, something that I focused on in my thesis, which is an organization called the Imperial Order Daughters of the Empire, mm-hmm. um, which was founded in the very early 1900s um, during the South African War by women, by like, yeah, a bunch of women who were like, we want to maintain our loyalty to Great Britain and we want to um, support the soldiers in the South African War, but we can't because we're women. So here we're going to do a bunch of charity to support these soldiers. And what their work kind of evolved into was doing a lot of um, like very well hidden in terms of like not called colonialism, but it effectively was colonialism in that they were going into northern indigenous communities in like Labrador and the Northwest Territories and um, like doing education, doing all of this stuff to kind of to pretty explicitly to spread Britain mm-hmm. and like British culture. Um, but they were mobilizing their femininity and their like womanhood to say that they were doing care work mm-hmm. and that they were doing education um, and not political work. But what this was doing was like very actively supporting the multi-pronged like colonial apparatus Mm -hmm. um and funnily enough the imperial order daughters of the empire still exists today as an organization um but they have stopped using their full name and only call themselves by their acronym the iode and they still have you know scholarships for for kids going to university and um all of this stuff but they've been able pretty effectively to hide the the very like culpable ways in which they've supported mm-hmm. colonialism because of the way that they've like branded themselves as a feminine like charitable organization. There were four main advertisements um, that were widely circulated that featured two white women, an indigenous woman, and an, a woman of color. And these advertisements had like one coherent kind of feminist mm-hmm. like discourse that was being forwarded, but the individual ads were 
slightly different in what they were saying. And what I was particularly struck by was um, one advertisement that featured uh, Captain Georgette Mink, who is from the Opaskwayak Cree Nation. Um, and uh, basically, I I looked a lot into the way that she was represented in this ad, um, which was highlighting the fact that she felt like she was a role model mm-hmm. um, and she was able to be a role model by by taking up this role in the Canadian Forces. Um, and after doing my research into the his- the way that the Canadian Forces has historically talked about its relationship to Indigenous people, um, and more specifically looking at um, the way that Canadi- the Canadian Forces recruits Indigenous youth, I found that the Canadian Forces has situated itself pretty like consistently over the years, especially recently, as a place for Indigenous youth to like improve themselves mm-hmm. in a way that's really disturbing. Um, one uh, policeman in, I think, Edmonton a few years back said that uh, if more Indigenous youth were to join the Canadian forces, it would stop gang violence. Um, it's The Canadian forces has been like positioned as this like space of like self-improvement for Indigenous peoples. And so it was pretty disturbing to see um, that trend carried through into this ad campaign where Georgette Mink is um, kind of is celebrated in a much different way than the other women in that she's held up for being a role model, um, which I think has really questionable implications in terms of the broader strategy that the Canadian Forces uses. This strategy to sort of recruit more women or recruit more Indigenous people or like racialized people, is it just a matter of the military like wanting just like more people in the military? Or is there like more to why we see increase in like gendered recruitment, racialized recruitment? Um, well, for a few years now, there have been various target numbers set mm-hmm. by various kind of, you know, human rights groups or like NGOs who have said to the Canadian Forces, look, like your demographics are mm-hmm. off. Um, this doesn't reflect the reality of Canadian society. So to be an equitable employer, you have to hit these target numbers for like for women, for visit- visible minorities, for Indigenous people and for um, people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. These are like the four target groups. So that's like one kind of like factual reason why this targeted recruitment is, is happening because they have these target numbers that they're supposed to be meeting. They have failed mm-hmm. every every time so far. You just listened to Brainwaves, student research on air. Head to the website culture.cket.ca slash brainwaves to listen to other podcasts in the series or to learn more about having your own research featured. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider checking out All Things McGill from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. on CKUT 90.3 FM on the dial or www.cket.ca online. CKUT is McGill's campus community radio station that provides alternative music, news, and spoken word programming to the city of Montreal and surrounding areas, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year.